32, 33, and 34 are, a very, are very significant chapters in the Pentateuch. Uh, they have within them some very important details for the life of Moses. Number one, the golden calf. Uh, the golden calf. Uh, a, a terrible but very significant uh, part of history in the life of Moses and in the history of Israel. Uh, secondly is this, is that in chapter 33 we see that uh, there is the forgiveness that God grants to the children of Israel. But also we see last week that Moses asked for a very unusual request to see the glory of God. And uh, God grants that to him in letting him see his goodness. And I encourage you last week to just uh, let's find ways to see God's goodness. Let's find ways to see God's goodness in our lives. And have you done that this week? Uh, did, you, did you follow up on that uh, exhortation that I tried to give you? Did you follow up on trying to find some ways in which God is good to you in your life? I hope you did. Uh, if you didn't, then uh, just repent of it and uh, do it tonight. Amen? Uh, then just do it tonight. You can, you can find God's goodness anytime, amen, and you ought to. If you don't, the Bible says that uh, you'll be faint. I'd fainted unless I'd seen uh, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we come to chapter number 34. And chapter number 34 is the renewal of the covenant. Or you might say it like this, this is the reestablishment of their relationship with God. Chapter number 34 is a chapter of renewal. A chapter where God is coming to Israel through Moses in order to renew and reestablish his covenant with his covenant people. They had broken away through the golden calf. God had judged them. God had even uh, told them that he was not going to go to the promised land with them. But, God, but Moses intercedes and God uh, graciously uh, says he will go with them. And now it's time for renewal. That's a common occurrence. That happens with your children. It happens with an employee, maybe a friend, or even in our judicial system. We have an issue that comes up, maybe an offense. Maybe somebody even breaks the law. There are consequences. There are judgments. There's those kinds of things. But there should be also a time of reconciliation. There should be a time of forgiveness. Amen? Somebody offends you. Uh, yes, there's consequences. But there should be reconciliation. But on the after reconciliation and forgiveness, there's actually a, another part of the procedure that takes place. That's renewal. A renewal of the relationship. A renewal, a, a reestablishment of the relationship. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. Um, we should not just correct our children. Okay? Uh, we should correct our children. But we should not, we should, our, our main goal is not to correct children. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he should not depart from it. The word train there does not mean just to correct. It is the idea of correction. You correct a child, yes. But then if you correct a child, then you need to make sure that you uh, establish an order of forgiveness and reconciliation with that child. It needs to be a time of love, a time, of, a time where uh, I'm sorry's are presented, I forgive you's, and I love you's, and things like that. And then thirdly, uh, there's a time of renewal, a time where there is some instruction on how to do things better, 
What can we do to make this relationship work in a better way? That might be a thing that you need to do in your uh, relationship with your spouse. You might have to do that with an employee. Um, you might have to reprimand an employee this week. You might have to tell them, hey, you shouldn't do this. Well, you don't stop there. You, you, you seek reconciliation with that employee, and then, uh, and then you move on to some instruction and renewal with that employee. These are God biblical, these are just biblical principles that we, we should learn in our lives, amen? Uh, biblical principles uh, that are found throughout all the scriptures. And Exodus 32, 33, and 34 shows us just those kinds of things. You see correction, you see reconciliation in 33, and then 34, you see a time of renewal and instruction. But that's also what we need with the Lord, amen? Uh, we need God's correction, we need God's reconciliation and forgiveness, but we also need His renewal. We need His instruction. And I believe if we're all really honest with ourselves tonight, that when we check in to spiritual matters, that this message really is a message that is calling all of us to a reestablishment a renewing of the relationship that we have with God. Sometimes you call, sometimes you might hear somebody say it like this, or some churches say it like this, um, or if you're at a teen camp, you might hear it like this. Uh, who would like to rededicate their lives to the Lord? Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, with, with people rededicating their lives. I've heard sometimes people say before, uh, oh, uh, you know, Miss Kim, she, there she is again. She's, she's rededicating her life to God. I mean, I mean, how many times has she got to do that? I mean, somebody that is spiritual ought to realize, you know what, I ought to be doing that every single day. Uh, you know, somebody that's spiritual uh, might, might ought to say to themselves, maybe I ought to be up there with Miss Kim, you know, rededicating my life to God. Uh, somebody that's not spiritual, that's a Pharisee, that's judgmental, is somebody that's saying, well, why are they doing that again, you know? Why are they saying that again? Why? Well, here's the deal, is that that person's got a soft heart, and they realize that they've messed up, they've sinned, they've done something wrong, they've gone astray maybe from God, and they say, you know what, I want to rededicate. I want to have a renewal of my relationship with God. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to God. I'm of the belief that, and I believe the Bible teaches this, especially in Romans 12, uh, in verses 1 and 2, that there ought not to be a, just a salvation in our life, but there also ought to be a surrender of our life to God. There ought to be a dedication of our life to God. There ought to be a, a, a real uh, giving over to God of our lives and say, God, whatever you want, it is yours. And that's what this message is calling us to. And really, if you're right with God at this point, I think that's great. But that doesn't mean that all of us do not need to renew our relationship with the Lord. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, in verses number 15 and 16, he says, For all these things, for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And then he says this, For which cause we faint not? But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is, listen to it, renewed, what? Day by day. That's 2 Corinthians 
And then he says, while we look not on the things which are seen, but are the things which are not seen, for our things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul reminds us that renewal is even a daily occurrence with him. Why is that? Because he was weighing his days out. He was thinking about his days. And he had learned to not just live for the moment, but he wanted to live for eternity. Would you renew your covenant with God? Would you rededicate your life to God? I'm not looking for some fancy service here tonight like that. I'm not asking you to be a a, a teen camp and let's all come up here and throw a stick in the bonfire or anything like that here this evening, all right? But it'd be good for us if some of us proverbially threw the stick in the bonfire. Say, you know what, God, I I, I just want to rededicate my life to you. I I just want to give my life back over to you, God. Maybe there's some areas I've missed out on. So I want us to look here tonight in this whole entire chapter and let us notice some ways in which we can and should rededicate and renew our covenant with with our Lord. Number one is, and they're all in the form of a question. Number one, and I think this is a very good logical question, but why should I renew my relationship with God? I mean, why do that? I'm saved. I'm, I, I would suspect that in a crowd like this, and in fact, I know there's two more that have trusted Christ and Savior, so uh, we've got a few more that are saved in here tonight. So I, I'm trusting probably in a crowd like this that the majority of us are probably uh, saved. I'd say there's a few then here that are not saved. I know some little ones that are uh, having come to saving faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ. They're not at that age yet to receive Christ. But uh, I would say the majority of us, unless uh, there's something in your heart that I don't know that you have not truly believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, are saved. So why reestablish my relationship with God, preacher? Why do that? Why, why even worry about that? I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I read my Bible. I, I, I try to pray. I, I come to church. I mean, look at me. I'm at church on Sunday night. Amen? I mean, I mean anybody that comes to church on Sunday night is, is right with God. Come on, right? I mean, come on. I mean, we could be at home watching the football game. I mean, we could be doing something else. I mean, uh, I mean I'm at church. Why should I reestablish my relationship with God? Well, number one is this, and this is a simple point, it's because God wants a relationship with you. You see, if it starts any other place, then it starts in the wrong place. It's got to start there. Over my studies and time, I found out that the majority of time, that the time, that not the majority, but all the time, whenever there is a relationship with God and with man, the instigator of that relationship is always, 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 it is God. It's always God. It's never mankind. It's never a person. It's always God. It's God working in somebody's life through somehow, some way, through some circumstance, through some person to bring them, to draw them to Christ. It is God working in our lives. God wants a relationship with you. Now look here in verse number 1. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, you see that's where it begins. I don't really have to go any further to show you the point that I just made to you because there it is. The Lord said unto Moses, I'm going to reestablish this thing with you. I'm going to renew my covenant with you. I'm going to start this thing over again, remind you of some things so that you'll be better equipped the next time this thing comes up in your life. And then he says, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I'll write upon these stones the words which are in the first tables which thou breakest. 
So he tells him, he says, not only am I coming to you to speak, but secondly, he tells him this. He says, he says go ahead and make two more stones. And he says, I'm going to write my word to you. There he is. It's God coming to man. It's God wanting to reestablish his word with us. It's God wanting to, and then he says, that thou breakest. I don't, I don't know if that was like a little reprimand, maybe a slap on the wrist, you know what I mean? I don't know what that was, but that was kind of like, remember Moses, you're the guy that threw them down and broke those. Um, I, I need to rewrite those. So get you out some stones and, and hew them out, and, and I'm going to write on those. You know what that tells me is that God loves us so much that he wants to send us his word. Anybody of you ever get a love letter? Come on now. Come on now. You ever get a love letter? Nobody got a love letter in here? Come on. Alex has got a love letter. All right. All right. <laughs> you got a love letter before, all right? I think, you know, I've got a little thing on my uh, dresser. It's a little, my, my wife just said, oh my. <laughs> I, saw her, I saw her lips. And it, and it has my picture of my wife and me on there and everything. And you open inside there, and there's some love letters uh, from Karis still inside there. Some little mementos, you know. Oh, that's so sweet, you know what I mean? Love letters. You know, I, I, when I was in college, I used to like, she'd, she'd, I don't know how she, I don't know if it was like my box or whatever, but uh, somehow I'd, I'd find little love letters from Karis, some places. You know, that was, that was, that was special. That was special. You know what? God has given to us the greatest love letter of all time. There's 1,189 chapters of it. Okay? Have you taken time to read any of God's love letter this week? Well, I know it's Sunday. Last week, this is God's love letter to you, my friend. Do you read it? Do you get into it? Do you find how God loves you? This is special, my friend. Why should we reestablish our relationship with God? Because God wants a relationship with you. That's why. God is seeking that relationship. God is wanting that relationship. You know, it's... Um, it's, 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 it's very obvious here that he wants to do this. And he says in verse number 2, And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning in the mountain Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the mountain, in the top of the mountain. He says, I want you to come up early in the morning. I, I want this thing to get started right away. I, no delay. Come on, let's go, Moses. And no man should come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither let the flocks and the herds be, be before that mountain. And this is what Moses did. He hewed the tables of stone, and he took them up to the Lord, and did as the Lord commanded him. And the Lord ascended a cloud and took him there, in verse number 5, and he could proclaim the name of the Lord. And here's the second thing I want us to see is this. Why should we establish our relationship with God? Not only this, not only because God loves us, but secondly is because of this, because God is gracious, merciful, good, and long-suffering. He says that in verse number 6. He says, the Lord comes by and he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed down his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for our for thus our inherit our in dying inheritance. God expresses to Moses that he is a good God, a truthful God, he's a merciful God, a gracious God, 
and a long-suffering God. Get it now. This is not Moses telling us who God is. This is God telling Moses who he is. That's a big difference. This is not secondhand information. This is God speaking to Moses, telling us who God is. He's saying, I am good, I am truthful, I am long-suffering, I am merciful, and I am gracious to you. Why should I reestablish my relationship with God? Don't you want to be on the side of somebody that's good, truthful, merciful, gracious, and long-suffering? Don't you want to be on the side? Don't you want to be uh, friends? Don't you want to be in a relationship with the most powerful entity in all the whole entire world that is both good, gracious, long-suffering, merciful, kind, and, all, and, and, and benevolent towards, his, towards, towards, towards people? I do. It's God. It's God reminding us that he wants to reestablish his relationship with us, that he has a strong desire to show mercy and grace to individuals. I've talked to folks that one of their hang-ups in getting saved is that they say, I've been too bad. And some people really have a hard time with this. Or they'll say something, you just don't know what I've done. And so it's hard for them to comprehend grace and mercy and love and benevolence. It's hard for them because they've never experienced that in their life. Their parents have been evil and wicked and cruel to them. Society has treated them bad. They've never got a break they felt like. And so whenever I come along and I tell them about the Lord, how he's gracious, good, and merciful, and kind, and wonderful, that's, and he wants to forgive them, that takes, some, that takes some time to sink in for some people sometimes. Especially people that have been very wicked and cruel in their lives. That have been also been treated very wickedly and cruel. Don't expect somebody like that just immediately just jump on the, the bandwagon of Jesus. They're going to they're gonna take some time to process through those, some of those things. But you know what, my friend? We ought to reestablish our relationship with God because God has a great desire to show grace and mercy to all individuals. He wants to be gracious and merciful to us. I think it's Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10 is a very unique chapter. The children of Israel had sinned. They've gone into idolatry and they've gone back into captivity. I think by Judges 10, I think it's about the fourth or fifth captivity. I'm not for sure. Don't quote me on that, okay? But it's about the fourth captivity that they've gone into because of their sin and their idolatry. In their captivity, they cry out to God and they expect God to deliver them just like God had always done. But this God, this time God says, no, I will not deliver you. He says, why don't you go serve and ask the gods that you've been serving to deliver you? I think that's a pretty relevant question, right? You've been serving these false idols. Why don't you go ask them to save you, okay? The prophet comes and tells the children of Israel this. So what did the children of Israel do? Do they go back to their false gods? No, they don't. They go back and they destroy all their false gods. 
God didn't tell them to do this, but they do it themselves. They take it upon themselves. They destroy all their false gods. They, they get rid of all, those, all, the, all the idols that they can think of. And they go back and they start praying and they start begging and they start crying out to God. And, and I love this word in our King James Bible. It says, peradventure that God would be merciful unto us. And guess what happens? God is merciful to them. Why? Because God is a merciful God. He loves to show mercy. So why should I reconnect with God? Do you like mercy? You like grace? You like long-suffering? You like goodness? You like truth? Then reestablish your relationship with God. And then the third thing is what you pardon our iniquity and our sin. Why should we reestablish our relationship with God? Because we realize just who we are and that we need mercy. Amen? We're rebellious people. We're stiff-necked sometimes. We're stubborn. We're hard-headed. I don't care however you want to word it. Whatever you want to say, we get the cold shoulder to get the cold shoulder to God. We all do it. We all get a little stiff-necked. We all get a little hard-hearted. We all get a little backslidden. We all come to a place in our life sometimes where we're a little rebellious and off-putting to God. And we all need to recognize that we have sinned against God. We have done things that have not been pleasing to God. We have said no to God in certain areas or circumstances in our life. And because of that, we need to reestablish, renew, reconnect, I don't care how you word it, with the Lord and God Almighty in our relationship with Him. It's that simple. When we recognize our sins and our shortcomings in life, when we recognize our stubbornness and our rebellion, it ought to make us realize even more that we need to reestablish our relationship with God. Number two, how do you do it? How do I worship? How do I reestablish a relationship with God? Well, He tells me. Now, understand verses ten. All the way, I believe it is, down to uh, verse number 28. God is reestablishing a covenant that he has made with Israel. Some call it the Mosaic covenant. He's reestablishing this national Israel covenant that he has given to them. I'm not trying to put us back under Mosaic covenant. Just trying to pull out and let us see some practical points from this covenant that he does. I think a very practical point that he gives us this in verses 10 through 15 is very simple. Worship God alone. Say, I want to reestablish my relationship with God. Well, number one is this. Worship God alone. Worship God alone. Don't worship anything else. He said, what am I worshiping? What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your treasure on? What are you spending your talents on? What are you spending your life on? What are you most concerned about? What are you most worried about? What do you what do you think about whenever you wake up the first thing in the morning? What do you think about before you go to bed at night? What's on your mind throughout the day? Analyze these kinds of things. Think through these kinds of things. Don't just be one in life. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of anybody's life is they never think. The greatest tragedy of anybody's life is they don't think. They don't analyze. They don't go through their minds and think uh, think about their life. 
Think about what they're doing in life. Think about how they're living in their life. Think about what is happening in their life. He tells them in verse number in verse number 10, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people that I will do marvels such as never been seen before. Then he says in verse number 13, in verse number 12, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land when thou goest, let it be a snare to thee in the midst of thee. He says in verse number 14, he says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He's merciful, he's kind, he's long-suffering, but he's given up too much for you and for me for us to just go pilfer it all on a bunch of idols. He says, I'm too jealous of you. I'm too jealous of you. You know, I, I'm jealous of my children. I'm jealous of them. I, 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 we invest too much and too much time for them to just kind of pilfer off their lives at this point in their, in their life and just kind of do nothing and just live any way that they want to live. Uh, we, we've invested in those kinds of things. That's why people get extremely mad and upset whenever they find out that the company or the stock that they've been investing in, uh, the executives have been just kind of spending and living uh, uh, laissez-faire, you know what I mean? And not doing anything about anything. And suddenly they find the stock tanks. And they're, why? They're jealous because they've invested into this thing. They're, invest, they're vested into it. And God says, I'm vested into you. I'm invested into you. I love you. I gave, I've given so much for you. Don't go and waste it on, on these false idols, on these groves, on these images. No, 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 no. How do you dedicate your life to God? Worship God alone. <coughs> what are you spending your time, your treasure, and your talents on? What are you spending those things on? How are you using your life? What do you think about in the morning when you first wake up? What do you think about before you go to bed? Number two, dedicate your life to God. Look at verse number 16. It's interesting. He gives us several areas to dedicate our lives to. He says in verse number 16, he says, and take... And thou take of their... He says in verse number, excuse me, 15, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one called thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters, uh, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and, uh, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Dedicate your life to God. So how do I dedicate my life to the Lord, Matthew? Pastor, how do I do that? Number one, dedicate your children to God. Dedicate your children to God. Your children are older, you've never dedicated them to God, then that's fine. Go ahead and start now. Dedicate your children to God. Say, God, I don't want my kids to, you know, go a whoring after other gods, as he says here. I don't want them to go uh, trapsing after some ungodly things. Dedicate your life to God by dedicating your children to God. Dedicate your food, fun, and festivities to God. Your food, your fun, and your festivities. What does he tell us in Colossians? He says, whatsoever you eat or what? Drink, do all to the glory of God. 
Did you sit down and eat lunch today to the glory of God? You can. <laughs> you, know? you can. He says in verse number, what does he say in verse number 18? Look there in verse number 18. He tells them very plainly. He says, the feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep. Seven days shalt thou eat the unleavened bread as I commanded thee in the time of the month of Abib. And in the month of Abib thou gavest out of Egypt. Verse number, verse number 20, he tells them again. He says, the first one of an ass that thou redeem, and if thou redeem it, or excuse me, uh, that's the, that's, the, that's the wrong that's the wrong verse. Uh, verse number 22. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks and the first fruits of the week of har- uh, wheat of harvest and the feast of uh, the gathering at the year's end. What's he telling them? He said, he said, uh, he said, these feasts that I've told you about, that I proclaimed to you. He says, he says, enjoy these for the glory of God. Uh, these feasts, these fun, these festivities, all of these things, every aspect of our life ought to be dedicated to the glory of God. Many years ago, there was this, uh, uh, there was, and it still goes on today somewhat, but there was this thought that we, that the Christian, the Christian can separate their life into that which is spiritual and that which is into secular. Spiritual secular. Well, this is my, uh, some people say, well, this is a, I, I work a secular job. I work a secular job. So that means, what does that mean? That means you're not in the ministry, okay? So I work a spiritual job. I'm a pastor. I'm a spiritual man. Well, you know what I mean? You work as, you know, a welder. Well, you're a secular man. You work in the secular work field. You work as an AC tech. Right? You work, uh, you know, you work for you work for Hayes County. You're, you're you're in the secular work. Okay, all right. But that's that is wrong thinking for a Christian. That's wrong thinking. You know, if you work for if you work for uh, Hayes County ISD, listen to me. Listen to me, you are as much in a spiritual occupation as I am. Why is that? It is because you are a spiritual individual now. It doesn't matter the job that you're in. What matters is the person that you are. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, there's a change of life here. You're no longer in the flesh. You're no longer a fleshy being, but what are you now? You're a spiritual person. You've been born again. By what? The Spirit of God. And so when you're out there welding, guess what? Guess what you are? You're a spiritual being, and you're working and you're doing it, you're doing something for the Lord. Ephesians even classifies all work as Christians as a spiritual work because you're not working for the employer, you're not working for the man, but you're working for the Lord. So dedicate everything, your fun, your food, your festivities, every bit of it, your activities, dedicate them to God. You say, but what if the activity, the food, the fun, and the festivity, what if that interferes with my relationship with God? Ah, now we're coming down to something right here, right? Now we're coming to, to more spiritual thinking. Now we're getting away from this secular spiritual nonsense, but we're now we're to the point where we're saying, okay, how does this affect my relationship with the Lord? Is this food fun festivity, is this job, is this activity going to interfere with my relationship with God? It is. Okay, then what's the most important in my life? My relationship with God? Or this activity that I'm being pulled to go to or be See, that's, that's how we ought to measure things and look at things and understand things. None of this secular spiritual nonsense. 
Life is spiritual as a Christian. That's what your life is. You're not walking in the flesh anymore. You're living a life that is spiritual or ought to be spiritual. So dedicate your children, dedicate your food, your fun, your festivities, your activities to the Lord. Verse 21, six days shalt thou work, but on the seventh thou shalt rest. Verse number 23, thrice in a year shall all your men and children uh, appear before the Lord, the God of, God of Israel. We're not, I'm not, I'm not warning you to go back to Israel three times a year, okay? What am I saying? Dedicate your days. Every day ought to be dedicated to God. Every day. Dedicate your children. Dedicate your food, your fun, your festivities. Dedicate your days. And look at verse number 19. All that open at the matrix is mine. That's the womb. And every firstling among the cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. He says, it's all mine. Dedicate your possessions to God. How do I renew my relationship with God? I'll tell you how. Worship God alone and dedicate your life to God. Give your possessions unto the Lord. Give your possessions unto God. Your house, is it God's? Is it God's house or is it your house? Uh, your car, is it your house or God's car? Or your car, what am I saying here? Is it God's car or your car? You can answer that question. Y'all be God's car. Your bank account, is it your money or is it God's money? Y'all be God's money. Amen? Every bit of your life, every bit of your possessions, it should be the Lord's. Whatever it is, give it to God. Say, Lord, I'm just a steward. And God, you are the account manager. And then sacrifice to God. He says, Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, neither shalt thou sacrifice the feast of the Passover but left of the morning. The first of the first fruits of the land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. He says, You all to sacrifice to me. Take your Bibles over to the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. You know the verse well. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We know those verses. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Shall be health in thy neighbor, marriage in thy bones. Chapter 3, verse number 8. <coughs> or excuse me, verse number 9. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with the first fruits, or excuse me, with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Okay, did you get it? What's the principle? How do I renew my relationship with God? Dedicate your life to God. Sacrifice to God. Honor God with every bit of your increase. You have an increase? Honor God with it. Honor the Lord with it. I believe it was Dr. Don Sisk and uh, Alex was relaying this story to me and I heard it also. But he had been in some foreign country and uh, Brother Sisk uh, saw some of these people that were in rags and some people that were in great poverty stricken nations. You know what they brought to the Lord? They brought some extra beans that God 
about a grow. Some extra potatoes. Some extra corn. Brought those things to the house of God. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any money. But you know what they did? They honored the Lord with the first fruits of their substance. They gave what they could. They gave what they could. They gave what they had. Say, what if I do all this, preacher? Well, when you renew your relationship with God, the rewards do await you. There's many of them. I wish I had more time tonight to preach a whole message on this. Verse number nine, he says, there's pardon. There's pardon. Now, if I would have stopped the message there, wouldn't we just all say, amen, close the book and go home? I mean, it would really. If God, if God in his word said to you, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I will forgive you your sins and let you into heaven. And that's all he ever promised you. How many of us could be happy in here and content tonight? Amen? Amen. Amen. I'd say I'd be pretty happy. Even if he said the rest of your life is going to be a miserable wreck. At least I knew that when I died, this wasn't the end of it. Amen? And I was going somewhere much greater and much better, and I wasn't going to have to shed a tear no more. My life wouldn't be a wreck anymore. But God doesn't stop there. God says, I will pardon you. I will forgive you. But in verse number 24, he says, I will enlarge your border. I will enlarge your border. I don't know exactly what that means for some of us. For them, it actually literally meant that he would enlarge their land. He would give them more than what they could possess even. Let them have as much as they needed at that time. He would enlarge their border. I'm not trying to preach prosperity here tonight, but I will say this, that when you follow the principles of the Word of God, there naturally follows uh, many times a greater prosperity in those that do. Simply speaking, and I'm not saying all of you are a bunch of gambling drunks here tonight or anything like that. I don't believe any of you are. But if you were all a bunch of gambling drunks and you gave up all your gambling and all your drinking, then guess what you'd have more on Monday? <laughs> you'd have more money. Amen? If you just followed a godly principle of giving up gambling and drinking and, and, and all those kinds of things and drugs and that kind of lifestyle and all that produces, you would have a more healthy, wealthy, productive lifestyle. But we need to learn that also in our Christian life. God will enlarge our border. God will bless us. God will help us. Uh, verse number 11 says, he tells them, he says, I will remove the evil out of your life. Praise God for that. I mean, read your Psalms. I read Psalm, I think it is uh, just 1 through 10. And you'll find many times over and over and over again how David is praying and crying out, God, remove this evil. God, help me in this evil thing. God, help me with these evil people. And by the end of the psalm, guess what? We find the answer that God is removing that person out of their life. Remove the evil from my life. Uh, verse number 30. What does God grant Moses? A shining face. Now, how many of you ladies would like to have a shining face? I mean, just a glow. You know what I mean? You wouldn't even have to go down to Glenn to get that thing. I mean, you just have to be to be. You just be glowing. He says, he says that Moses had a shining face. 
You know, people that have a renewed and right relationship with God, it can be seen on their face. You say, that's Old Testament. Mm, I don't know about that. Stephen, what happened to him? He was martyred. The Bible says that his face shone as an angel. I'd say Stephen had some rededication and renewal with God, probably on a daily basis. Not just in a one-time service like this. Verse number 29 tells us that a word from the Lord came to them. It came to pass when Moses came down from the mountain that he had the two tables of stone and the testimony in Moses' hand. I'll tell you what, my friend. There is nothing more encouraging sometimes in the Christian life than whenever you pick up this book and God just almost highlights a verse for you. And just gives it to you. Or you're sitting in a service like this, unbeknownst to you, and all of a sudden God just boom, hits you with that word from the Lord. That was from Him. That's encouraging. That's a blessing. That's a reward for being in a right relationship with God. And then finally, in verse number 34, he says, But when Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he took off the veil until he came out. Moses was in this renewed and right relationship with God. And guess what? He went in and out and in and out to the, of the presence of God. Prayer, out. In to pray, out. In to pray, out. You know what? When you are renewing your relationship with God, going back to what he says there in the book of 2 Corinthians, when we're in a renewed relationship with God, as he even says on a daily basis, you know what? That allows for you and for me to have that free reign with God to just be in prayer all the time. All the time. What does he say in 1 Thessalonians 5? Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Renewing your relationship with God. All the time. You're in, you're out. You're in prayer, you're back out. You're like Moses. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. In, out. It all comes because of a renewed relationship with the Lord. I do this. Because God wants you. Number two, how do I do it? Dedicate your life to God. Sacrifice to God. Worship God. And then see the rewards. See the rewards that God has waiting for us when we do. He pardons us. He forgives us. He enlarges us. He blesses us. With prayer with His Word. Sometimes even with a shining face. May God help us to renew his relation, our relationship with him. Have you renewed it with a lightning?